Hello all you beautiful creepsters, this is George, and you are listening to Sinister Sightings by a Pair of Normal Chicks. And we are a paranormal chicks. Sinister sightings, 66. Whew. Chicks, six. Sinister sightings, 66. Hold oh, so many S's. Whew. <laughs> well, Carrie's mind blown, but you know who blew my mind? George Booth with that fucking intro. I mean, George, that was way better than whatever the fuck I just did. <laughs> right. And you know we love you, boo. Yes. And I love how he said beautiful creepsters. If you want to introduce an episode, just like George did, head on over patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Um, how you said George, I thought you were going to do George, George, George of the jungle. Meanwhile, he's like, fuck. I know. Not again. I know. I'm sorry. I am that person. Everyone's name. If it has something, I'm that person. Mm-hmm. You are. And I have a name like that because everyone's like... O'Donna about Richie Valens, and I'm like, oh, yeah, but I am that person, so I can't get mad at them. All right, you want to jump right in? Of course. I mean, you know, after we've offended George, mm-hmm. he knows we love him. He's a, a IRL friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first one goes, a little background. In 2011, my sister, half-sister, different moms, was murdered in Chicago. Oh, holy Hannah. Her name was Sarah. It was all over the news there in Minnesota and Wisconsin. She didn't live the best life, but she had good intentions and a good heart. Feel free to look up what the news said about her, but know that was not truly her. It was just circumstances she ended up in. Life was not always easy on her, and she ended up in situations that were less than flattering. She had five kids. Her oldest was only 10, and her youngest was two or three. Oh, gosh. I was very pregnant when it happened. Her funeral was on October 26, 2011. That morning at 1 a.m., I went into labor. I knew I wasn't going to make it to the funeral, so I started calling 24-hour florists to order an arrangement and five teddy bears for her kids. Aww. The customer service rep begged me to just hang up and go to the hospital. I told her only if we get through the order. My sister was dead, and I hadn't seen her in over a year before she passed. I was not going to get to say my goodbye and probably was missing my last opportunity to see my nieces and nephews, so this was important. Gosh. She finished the order, and I went to the hospital. Ten and a half hours later, I gave birth via emergency C-section after they lost my son's heartbeat, the exact time the funeral was scheduled to start, 11.30 a.m. on 10.26. Oh, my gosh. While in the hospital, they gave me pain medication for the C-section pain that knocked me out. I just so happened to have been feeding my son when they administered it. Somehow, my son was safely placed in the hospital bassinet while I was out of it. I have no recollection of placing him back in his bed, and no nurse acknowledged doing it. I know I couldn't have placed him in the bassinet without getting out of bed, 
I had tried a few times before I got the medicine, but it was too awkward and I felt I had little control and would drop him. Didn't have any visitors and the baby daddy was flaking out on being there per usual. Could be coincidence, but I honestly feel something made sure my son was safe while I was in that state. The night I was let out of the hospital, October 28th, I was laying in bed drifting off to sleep when I felt someone touching my face, like playfully poking at it. Then I would hear my sister's laugh. Oh, wow. At first, I was like, just me slipping into a dream, but it happened a few more times. I was exhausted from having a new baby, recovering from surgery, and taking care of two other kids and begging the flaky baby daddy to just help. So finally, I said, Sarah, please stop. I need to sleep. I felt a warmth all over me, and it all stopped. I went to sleep. When I woke up, the flaky baby daddy told me I was talking as I was falling asleep. I asked him what I said, and he told me. I vividly remember it happening. No other encounters where I see or hear anyone, but I always find cute trinkets around she would have liked. I have a feeling of something guiding my life and pointing me in good directions, as well as weird things happening. Like one time I was talking to some friends about leaving the flaky baby daddy and my keychain the flaky baby daddy gave me fell apart and fell on the floor. My keys were in my purse. After my friends were like, yeah, you deserve more, like an extra affirmation that something agreed or maybe just coincidence. Thanks, Jamie. Oh, wow. I wholeheartedly believe that it was your sister that helped your son. Oh, absolutely. Wow. My niece, Allie, was born just a couple of days before my grandmother passed. And I swear their souls passed. Like, I know it was before, but it's like, no, I I know they had to. Like, I don't know how I know, but I know they did. You know, because... She, Grandma was so out of it for those days that I think that she had already left her body, you know? Yeah. So I firmly believe and, like, just know that that was your sister. Yeah. This one's called A Porcelain Doll and an Angry Spirit. Hello, ladies. A couple of months ago, I sent an encounter I experienced in my childhood home. I have so many stories to tell, and this might be a lengthy one, but I'll try to keep them short. When we moved into the house, my sister and I were six and seven. We had never dealt with anything paranormal in our lives other than my mother's very close encounters with the devil stories twice. Um, wait, what? Yeah, we need to know those. Devil stories? What? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And all the paranormal encounters she had in Guatemala. I'll make sure to send some of her stories in. She would always tell us stories before bed since it would be the only thing that would put us to sleep. Yes, we are weird, but moving into that house was about to change that. Girl, my mom told me stories, scary stories all the time. That's what put me to sleep too. So right there with you. I was going to say, my mom didn't tell them to me, but like we watched murder shit, but meh. When my dad would go to Mexico, he would always bring my mom porcelain dolls that would look very lifelike, and we hated them. My mom was super in love with one that had a yellow vintage dress with perfect curly hair. She would always leave her on top of the dresser at the entrance of her room so she would be able to greet her when she got home. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) I don't like that at all. Mm -mm. 
My sister and I would always put her away so we wouldn't have to see her, but my mom would always put her back. After school one day, we planned to go to our community center a few blocks away to go swimming and invited a friend to join us. The plan was to pass our house to leave our backpacks and grab our swimsuits and towels. We had just opened the front door to my mom's room when the door to the kitchen slammed closed and the doll started to turn her head to face us. Nope, that's even worse. Don't like that either. Uh Uh-uh. We threw our backpacks into my mom's room and we ran as fast as we could out of the house. That day, we did not go swimming. Mm -mm -mm. The next event will remain one of the most vivid in my life. When my sister and I were 20 and 21, we moved to the back section of the house to share a bigger room since we were at the same time single mothers. We were both dealing with our own demons and we quickly started having arguments all the time. Crazy thing was that when we were out of the house, we'd be fine. We noticed that as soon as we would get home, any little thing would trigger us. One day I told my mom about it and she told me to put a cup of water with ice under my bed and to pray each night. I never expected anything to happen when I started to do this. Let me give you a visual of our apartment slash room. When you first walk in, you are in my 8 by 8 room, and straight ahead was my sister's 12 by 10 room. When you walk into her room, to your right is a hallway that leads to the kitchen. Now to the first night. Before bed, I went to the kitchen to grab a cup of water and proceeded to go to my room. I didn't have my daughter that day, so I decided that it was a good time to start. I would sleep facing into my sister's room, and oh, I didn't have a door, so I would always be able to see into her room. Anywho, I started to attempt to pray when suddenly I was unable to open my mouth. The feeling of not being able to say anything was very intense. It felt as if I was paralyzed or someone was applying pressure to my chest, But I said what I had to say as loud as I could in my head, remembering that my mom said not to stop no matter what. The second night, it was the same situation. I could feel eyes on me and the buildup of anger and hate, but I pushed through. To be honest, I don't remember anything after I would finish with amen. I guess I would be so exhausted that I would just knock out. The third night, I was able to mumble some words out, but I was still unable to fully open my mouth. By the fourth night, my sister and I were doing better at home, but we both felt watched, which gave me the strength to be stronger for both of us. On this fourth night, I finally spoke out, but it was more of a whisper, and I remember sleeping more peacefully. On the fifth and final night, I felt much more relaxed and I felt the power in me to banish whatever it was invading our lives at home. That night was the first time I saw anything in the apartment. As I was laying down and getting ready to pray, I noticed a shift in darkness inside my sister's room. I started praying and spoke as loud and as strong as I could when I suddenly started to see this black mist appearing on the doorway to my sister's room and my room. I could see it getting bigger and bigger as I spoke. I was starting to feel a little scared thinking it would come at me. I knew in my gut that it wanted to attack me, but it was being held back. 
I was coming close to the end of my prayer when suddenly it dashed into my room. And when I said, amen, it went out the exit door. I knew right there and then that I had banished whatever was invading our space. It was a very intense five nights, but my mom was right, and I'm glad that I didn't ignore her instructions. My sister and I did a lot better after that, but I'm afraid that whatever it was that wanted to have my sister and I fight all the time went into my little brother and sister's room, but that's a story for another time. Thank you so much, ladies, for being the best part of my days and for keeping me awake during work. I love your podcast and keep the stories coming. Much love, Jessica. What? Okay. Questions. One, do you have to replace the cup of ice water every single night? Oh, yeah. Good one. Two, does it get shit in it like that egg thing that you talked about where it would be like gritty at the bottom, like in the in the cup after because oh, yeah. of like like the shit would like manifest in the cup? Does it do like that with the ice water? Mm. You know what I bet? The ice melts. This bitch, <laughs> which is why I asked if you had to replace it every night. Yeah, no, I don't know. Also, um, I think you need to write at least like six more stories because you teased us with that's another story for another time, girl. Dang up the fucking carrot. Mm-hmm. You know, we big girls, we eat. Uh huh. Give us the whole fucking carrot. That's right. Like a two carrot diamond. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Let me first say, you two are fantastic. I am a stay-at-home mama to a three-year-old and a special needs two-year-old, and it's not uncommon for me to go a full day without talking to another adult, so your voices keep me company. Anyway, the story is pretty short and lighthearted, so it might do well sandwiched between something a bit heavier. You know, like the last one we just read. (laughs) I was going to say, well... (laughs) This was like perfect, and it wasn't even planned. I am and have always been a UFO, Bigfoot, ghost, anything weird fanatic. I believe in aliens and am generally a cosmic geek and weirdo by nature. My sweet husband, who I've been with since I was 17, now 27, is grounded. If he can't see it and touch it, he has a hard time believing in its existence. I give him a hard time for being so black and white and he harasses me for having such blind faith. I love that, though. Like, y'all are each other's equal opposite. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my mother-in-law lives in Hollywood, Florida, and my husband and I live about four hours north near Orlando. We were making a visit down to see the in-laws, and we were in the last 30-ish minutes of the trip where the highway runs through more of an urban area instead of empty highway. Out of nowhere, I saw four large white lights reflecting off the night clouds and inhaled a sharp gasp and grab my husband's leg. Me. Holy shit, please tell me you saw that, husband. Yeah. Me, starting to tear up from pure excitement and loud whispering as to not wake the kids in the back seat. What is that? Do you see those lights? It's a fucking UFO. They're flying so low. Husband, you're so fucking hot, babe. Me. Yeah, I fucking know, my guy. <laughs> You said you see them. You can't deny it now. I am legit crying at this point because I have always wanted to see a UFO. We keep driving for another half mile with my jaw on the floorboard and a dumb, smug smile on his stupid, handsome face (laughs) and come up on the overpass. On the other side of the overpass, I see 
a fucking motherfucking car dealership with the spotlight turned on and shooting into the sky. My tears of joy immediately turns into tears of anger and disappointment, and my husband starts losing his shit laughing. Oh, gosh. Oh. Me. Why did they leave the fucking spotlights on at midnight? That is a danger and a road hazard, and my husband opens his mouth to say something, and I tell him to shut it. Not to talk to me. We spent the rest of the ride in silence. My ego bruised and my husband's peacock feathers on full display. He gave me shit for the entire trip. So, yeah, that's the time I thought I could cross seeing a UFO off my bucket list. But it was just an advertisement for an Audi dealership. I'm still salty and my husband never misses the opportunity to tease me about it. I still have hope that I will see a UFO or a Sasquatch or a ghost someday, and am planning to go Bigfoot hunting in Texas when my boys start school. I just probably will keep any of my findings from my caveman husband. <laughs> keep up the good work, ladies. Chelsea. Oh my gosh, that is perfect. And that shithead knew it from the beginning what, he, what you were seeing. Uh-huh. Also, me and Tiffany used to try to find those mm-hmm. lights, like, because... Yes, why do people have those lights on at night like that? Well, and it would be like, what's going on? Like, you know, FOMO. I'm like, let's go find the lights. So we would drive around, um, what? Like, we would waste so much freaking gas, mm-hmm. never find the lights, and then be like, you want to go to the casino? <laughs> Gosh. That's hilarious, though. That is some shit I would do. Yes. Oh, and how you said you started tearing up. I do that, too, when I think I, like, have, like, a scary moment or whatever. Yes. I get that. Like, if my eyes tear up, I'm like, it's real. <laughs> well, talk about synchronicity. The next one's called, What in the Bigfoot is Going On Here? <laughs> Hi, ladies. Sending in another story for you. I have lots of rattling around in this crazy brain of mine. This one's about the time my brother saw Bigfoot. My brother was in his early 20s at the time. He was just walking out the front door to piss off the front porch. (laughs) I never understood his weird habits, but whatever. We lived on 10 acres with nothing but woods around us. Why do all boys do that? Mm -hmm. Like, you you literally walk past a bathroom to go outside and pee. It's like, it's just like a, but I can do it. Yeah, freedom. So I'm going to pee outside. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and she was like, and it was dark out. About him peeing. Oh, yeah. I mean, and seriously, who cares? Yeah. Because if they, if somebody can see him peeing, it's because they're looking. Uh-huh. Y'all own too much fucking land for somebody to be seeing him. Mm-hmm. Beyond our woods was other family members' property, which is also very wooded. My grandpa had a huge farm at one point and gifted land to all six of his kids. But anywho, my brother had just walked out the front door, was just about to start pissing when his Doberman Pinscher started growling. He turned around to see Pokey's hair standing up, teeth bared. He looked up, and since it was dark, he was searching to see the thread. He eventually saw a huge, dark, human-like mass standing by the big oak tree by the far side of the house. He literally yelled, what the fuck, and started slowly moving inside to get a gun. That's when Pokey went into action. She took off. And even though her name was Pokey, she was far from it. She was fast as fuck, so much so that we let her run near our quad before just to see how fast she was. And she legit ran 28 miles per hour. Holy shit. What in the cheetah is going on here? Right? 
If you've ever seen any cop videos with Doberman pinchers, you know they're fast as fuck. But when she took off, so did this giant creature. My brother said it was definitely dark, huge, and looked hairy, like ape hairy. The Bigfoot slash creature ran faster than Pokey, outran the dog, clear to the wood line onto the other side of the lawn. And when the Bigfoot slash creature hit the woods, you would think it would be loud from running through brush, stepping on sticks, but no, it ran through the woods quieter than a damn deer. Pokey ended up giving up and not going far into the woods after it. My brother proceeded to get him and Pokey inside, made sure every damn door and window was locked, and sat with a gun in the living room until my dad came home. My dad just kind of laughed it off and asked him how much pot he smoked that night. But the next morning, when they went outside to look around in the light, there was a bunch of dirt and branches disturbed by the tree my brother first saw it at. After that, my dad didn't think he smoked too much wacky tobacco. <laughs> the devil's lettuce. <laughs> well, that's my Bigfoot story. Creep it real, ladies, and keep up the amazing work. You two are the bestest. Love, Bobby Joe. Why is it that nobody ever believes you and then they're like, oh, sorry, okay, maybe you're right. Right, yes. This is so crazy, two Bigfoot, like, kind of... References. Yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm a new listener to your podcast. I found you during a 16-hour shift at work, and you definitely saved my sanity. I introduced my husband to your podcast, and he suggested I send in some of my experiences. We would be here forever if I try to type them all out, so I'll start from the beginning and send them in as I have time. Here we go. It all started when I was little. My parents bought a piece of land, and my dad started working on building a two-story brick house in Hesmer, Louisiana. To save money during the building process, we lived in a camper on the land. The stories from this house will be accounts from my mom and the few I remember because I was young. We moved into the house when I was three. I remember being afraid to go upstairs alone, but what three-year-old wouldn't be? I also remember we had a formal dining room. My mom had my toys in there because she could watch me play while she was in the kitchen. I remember playing in there with a stuffed bear and feeling a hand roughly grab my shoulder. Uh-uh. It freaked me the fuck out and I ran to my mama. I told her what happened and she said, baby, that was just Jesus protecting you. <laughs> In my little three-year-old brain, I remember thinking, I don't think Jesus would scare me like that. I also remember being extremely scared one night, so I decided I was going to sneak downstairs and hide on the staircase until my parents came upstairs. Oh, gosh. I felt like I'd be safe as long as I could see them. I wasn't a good sneaker, so I got caught. My dad called me to him. As I walked down the stairs, I fell. Oh, gosh. My dad caught me with my face inches away from our polished cement floors. Later, my parents were talking about it, and I overheard them telling my pawpaw that when I fell, it looked like I had been shoved hard from behind because I flew outwards instead of tumbling like if I had simply slipped. I also remember my parents insisting that we all pray the rosary for protection before bed every night. Towards the end of us living there, I remember the upstairs being off limits, and we all slept downstairs in the living room and dining room. Oh, wow. My mom said she had me sleep between her and dad because I talked to whatever it was. 
She said, one night as we were sleeping, she felt me move. She said she opened one eye to see if I was awake or just stirring in my sleep. She saw me sliding down the bed like I was being dragged slowly by my foot. Uh -uh. She said she pretended to roll in her sleep and wrapped her arm around me and held on tight. I obviously don't remember this, but I do know for most of my life, I had this weird habit of holding on to my fitted sheets when I slept because I was afraid of being dragged out of bed. She said holy candles would blow out or tip over during our nightly rosary sessions. And when the realtor came to do our photos to sell the house, they had to redo them several times due to weird anomalies in the pictures. Sorry this is long, but I could probably write a book on this house alone. Until next time, ladies. Stay creepy. Love, your girl, Chris. What, um, I need you to write that book because I am invested. So, what? Was it? Yeah. This is very reminiscent of the story that you told last week. Yes. I'm like, uh, this sounds like Ed and Lorraine Warren shit, where like everyone is now having to sleep in the living room, you know, and oh my gosh. Okay. Hello, Donna and Carrie. A warm hello from sunny South Africa, Cape Town to be exact. I found your podcast by a complete happenstance in mid-December and have been obsessed ever since. You ladies perfectly combine two of my favorite subjects, the paranormal and true crime, into a riot of laughs, goosebumps, and chills. I am seriously addicted. Honestly, I think I might need an intervention soon. I wanted to share two quick encounters I had of the ghostly kind, as I'm sure you gorgeous ladies will appreciate it. The first one happened when I was in high school, probably around the age of 13, 14. I used to spend some of my school holidays at my grandparents' home in the rural town of Picketburg. They used to live in the suburbs of Cape Town, but decided to retire in Picketburg as my grand was born there and always wanted to go back. I hope I'm saying that town right. They bought a big old house that was right on the edge of town, literally on the corner of the town as you turned off the main road to enter the town. The entire yard was aligned for the hedges with olive trees, and it was a beautiful place. Oh my God, that sounds gorgeous. I love olive trees. A real old town feel to the place. High ceilings and wooden floors and a big porch at the front of the house with a little section at the end closed with glass to create a sunroom in which you could sit and read in the winter. But I digress. On to the good stuff. One evening around 9 p.m., I was sitting in the TV room. My grandparents were in the kitchen just off the TV room. What's important to note here is that the sofa in the TV room was directly across the TV room's door, which led all the way down the long corridor. All the bedrooms and bathrooms led off of this corridor. So if you sat on the sofa in the TV room and turn your head to the side instead of looking straight at the TV, you could see all the way down the long, dark corridor. I know exactly what you're talking about because at my Nana's house, she didn't have a long corridor, but the hallway was like that, and it freaked me out. Like, freaked me out. I would, I did not like to sit on that couch. Ooh. So as I sat and watched TV, something suddenly caught my eye in my peripheral vision. I turned my head and saw the back of an old man in a long day coat, almost like what a butcher would wear, 
slowly walking down the corridor and turn into the guest bathroom. Initially, I thought it was my grandpa's friend, Mr. Pettit, which is weird because uh, that was your mm-hmm. your name in your story, Carrie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> he also lived in the town, and they often visited each other. What was weird, though, was that they never visited each other at night. I got up from the sofa and walked into the kitchen to ask my grandparents what Mr. Pettit was doing here so late, to which my grandpa replied, No, Cookie, Mr. Pettit isn't here. Mm -mm. I froze. Who the fuck did I just see walk down the hallway? I got frantic and told my grandpa that there was someone in the house and they just walked into the bathroom. My grandpa, bless his heart, got up immediately to go find the intruder. But there was no one there. For the sake of my age at the time, he played along and pretended to go and check. Little did I know at the time that the house was haunted. Both my parents and grandparents decided to not let any of us kids know about the paranormal activity that was taking place in the house so as not to scare us out of ever wanting to visit them. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Turns out, the old man often appeared to my grandparents. He also made himself coffee in the kitchen, where you could clearly hear a cup being stirred with a teaspoon and the smell of coffee, but with nothing there. Uh Uh-uh. My granny also once spent the day pruning and tending to all of the olive trees lining the yard, only to be woken up in the middle of the night with a few nudges and the old man looking down at her, nodding, smiling, and then disappearing in front of her eyes. We found out later that the old man lived in the house before my grandparents, and the olive trees were his absolute pride and joy. He originally planted them himself, so my granny caring for them obviously made him feel the need to thank her for her hard work. The old man used to be known around the rural town for always wearing a long, white overcoat. He was a very proud and proper man, so I guess it only makes sense that he was gentlemanly enough to thank my granny for her work. His presence was by no means malicious or scary, as my grandparents spent many happy years living in that house. But due to me seeing him walk down the hallway, clear as day, I now have absolutely no doubt in my mind that ghosts, apparitions, spirits are real. He made me a believer in the paranormal, thanks to me seeing it with my own eyes. Another quick story was when I traveled to India in 2011. It was my first time visiting the country, which I would come to love so much. I've been back three more times since. Our tour group was on an educational tour. I work in travel marketing, so sometimes we get to go on some trips and see the best hotels, destinations, in order to better market it to the public. At that point on our tour, we were in a tiny little town in the middle of the desert. It was so small and rural. Sorry, I need to use this word a lot. Girl, why did I pick this story? (laughs) The universe is playing a cruel joke on me. I was about to say, it picked you. Right? So it was so small and rural that our tour bus couldn't even drive to the hotel at the center of the town, as in roads were too narrow. We had to load our luggage onto a bull drone buggy and jump on for a lift to the hotel. The hotel itself used to be the main residence of the local nobleman and his family in the olden days. 
Their homes were like small palaces with the locals of the area around their Haveli, the name of these small palaces in this region of India. Many of these rich nobles have since lost their fortunes and given up their once palatial homes to hotel developers to simply make ends meet. These Havelis are then converted into heritage hotels where tourists can stay for a few nights and get a feel of what the nobles used to live like in the olden days. Each of us in the tour group had our own room in this hotel, and my room was in the section that used to be where the nobleman's concubines used to stay. It was like a small apartment, and it was gorgeous. That night, after a traditional rooftop dinner, I retired to my room for a warm shower and some much-needed sleep. It had been a long-ass drive to the middle of the desert, and I was pooped. I fell asleep straight away, but at around 3 a.m., yes, ladies, the witching hour, I was ripped out of my deep sleep by an almighty crash. I sat up bolt right in bed and couldn't find the light switch to the bedside table quick enough, my heart pounding in my throat. I found the cover of the AC unit next to the bed had been flung straight across the room to the other side, about 8 to 10 meters across the room. There was no way that it just came off and fell that far. Granted, the AC unit was a bit rickety, but for Pete's sake... I suddenly felt chills and goosebumps all over my body and felt what I could only describe as a presence in the room. Suddenly, I felt unwelcome, like I was intruding. I decided to leave the AC cover right where this presence flung it. I was not even trying to clip it back on. I also left the light on, not taking any chances. Okay, Motel 6. (laughs) Needless to say, I didn't sleep much for the rest of the night and could not get out of the room quick enough the next morning. Did I anger the residents of old, who now had tourists traipsed through their once-revered palace night after night? Perhaps. But with India's rich and ancient history, I'm sure that there are many things that have not yet escaped the mist of time. Thank you for reading my story and also for putting together such a fun and awesome podcast. Please know that I am your biggest fan in South Africa, if not the entire African continent. I look forward to spending many more happy hours in my car, in bed, at the beach, or even in the shop listening to you too. I'm going to butcher it, but muibli, which is keep well in Afrikaans, my first language. Manette F. Holy Hannah. Well, one, you write so well. Yes. And, like, I could picture everything and just... It's, and I could just hear it in your beautiful accent. <laughs> oh, my God, right? Not me butchering everything? Whew. But, whoa. I can only, like, imagine being in a new place and then not feeling welcome, though. Yeah. And, like, what do you do? Like, you're there. Okay. This one is Don't Mess with Dead Serial Killers. Oh, shit. Hi, ladies. Found your podcast a few months ago while looking for something new to listen to at work. You two get me through my post-lunch slump. That post-lunch slump is no fucking joke. So true. My family has always been really into the paranormal. We're staying at the Stanley Hotel for the third time this April. Dang. Oh, I hope you got to go. 
Oh, shit, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Man, fuck 2020. Plus, our house became haunted while we lived there. So, I've got a story or two to share. This one was the darkest experience I've had, so I thought I'd start there. When I was in high school, my mom got a Groupon for a group ghost hunt because that's on brand for my family. (laughs) It was at a hotel about an hour from where I lived in St. Louis called the Morse Mill Hotel. A lot of historical folks stay there in its heyday, like Al Capone, Jesse James, Charlie Chaplin, and even had one of the first female serial killers in the U.S., Bertha Gifford, as a cook for a while. I believe it was also a boarding school and a brothel for a little bit. Hopefully not at the same time. Oh my gosh. But I don't remember those for sure. They're working on turning it into a bed and breakfast. So both times I went, the walls were exposed down to the beams and the power was disconnected throughout the building. We had a ton of little things happen, like communication through flashlights and EMF detectors. But one of the weirdest was using dousing rods there. As I was asking questions in the attic, I felt like someone was holding the ends of the rods and pulling down on them as they moved. It was such a weird feeling, and I've never felt it since. There were other bigger experiences, but the creepiest of all was on our first trip when a friend of mine joined us. The ghost hunting had ended, and we were standing around talking to the guides with our backs to the kitchen area. That's supposed to be... Bertha, the serial killer's domain. Something important to note as well as this is in January in Missouri. So with no electricity in the building, it was cold as shit. I saw my friend tense up at one point, then put a hand to her hair at the back of her neck. She didn't say anything about it, and we left a couple of minutes later. She had been too spooked to say anything inside and had me take a look at her neck once we got in the car. There were three fresh scratches running from her hairline down her neck. Oh my gosh. What makes it even weirder is that she had been provoking Bertha earlier in the evening and teasing her about her serial killer ways. Survey says that wasn't a great idea. The scratches were still developing when we got into the car, and I'd seen her standing with her hands in her pockets throughout the time she would have had to have scratched herself, so I think she may have pissed Bertha off. Just a bit. Dang. The ghost hunts were awesome, but I don't think I'll be staying at Morris Mill once it opens as a B&B. Nothing on the owners or the service, of course, but the energy there was too dark for me to feel comfortable being that vulnerable overnight. There's so much history I've left out, so this email doesn't get too much longer. Your boy Jason and Grant investigated Morris Mill, by the way. But I definitely recommend looking into it. I'm going to leave this here. Thanks so much for reading. Creeping It Real, Nicole. Oh, wow. I'm going to definitely put that down on a suggestion because Bertha and me, we need to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. All right. Last one. Hello, ladies. Just dropping a line to share a really crazy true crime story that popped up a while ago but had me interested again since listening to True Crime and Paranormal Podcast recently. Just joined the page this past week and thought I would share an interesting thing that happened in my hometown, which I'm still residing in. A man by the name of Jack Terrence that lived not too far from my home was brought up as a possible match to the Zodiac Killer. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. FBI came in and ran DNA, but it was inconclusive. 
Photos against the sketch, handwriting, and his voice appeared to be similar to the killer. Crazy, but thought it was interesting to share. Side note, it was said he would frequent going back and forth from here to California quite a bit. A quick search for Zodiac in Sagoon, Texas will bring up a lot of results. Thank y'all for making the ride home from work that much better. Creep it real, Rudy. What? Whoa. Man, all this, like, DNA, like, uh, bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when the DNA comes for you? Right? Whoa. Whoa, these were some good stories. Really were. And again, they had, like, that thread that just is woven in them, and it just connects them all. It's got to be something related to, like, what's, like, what moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter <laughs> aligns with Mars. Yeah. Look at me. Two songs right there. I know. All the lyrics. I know them all. It's about time. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't. But you know what I do know? To remember. Creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.